It's the morning before the night before Christmas, and this is your DSR Daily Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Cottonor. Today, we're in a reflective mood as the year comes to a close. So Chris and I have both brought a few things that surprised us this year to discuss. So I'll go ahead and kick it off. One thing that surprised me is the speed and abandon at which China has turned their back on the zero-COVID policy. After only a few days of protests, the government has completely retreated without the public health measures necessary to protect an under-vaccinated population. Even though the protests were dispersed across the country, I thought that if Xi would keep the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress from being a pivot point for the policy, that he would just keep it in perpetuity moving forward. It's obviously too good an authoritarian control measure to give up for nothing. But off mic, Chris and I have talked about how we think that partially this is a way to reopen while also pointing the finger at protesters for the deaths that this new relaxed policy will cause. Right now, I've seen estimates in the millions of deaths in the next few months alone. This story is far from over, and we already know what happens when China sneezes. The world catches a cold. So, Chris, what do you think about the evolution of this story? What's pretty surprising is it took about a week's worth of protests to turn the tide in China. I don't think China was in a position to continue their zero COVID policy anyway with the rest of the world opening up in the global economy where it stands at the moment. But at the same time, we're talking about a country that does not have a good vaccination program. They're already starting to see increased caseloads of of COVID. The rest of the world is looking to see what, what actually will happen with this. I talked to you yesterday. I mean, you know, there's a concern, you know, in, in this country with with increased COVID cases, you know, and we're obviously more prepared, more vaccinated. So it's, it's, you know, it's concerning. It's something that, you know, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on in the coming, coming months. Yeah. I think one question that I'm going to have sort of looking forward is how this is going to impact inflation and supply chains in China. Like we've already seen how the zero COVID policy has messed things up, but this is just going to be a massive sweeping death across the whole country. And that really has me concerned about a global economy that's already sort of teetering on the edge. But what surprised you this year? So I didn't really follow the rules about what was so surprising, but, and, and so what, what I, what I did was I, <laughs> I made a list of things that I found let's say intriguing um, versus sort of surprising. The China zero COVID policy backpedaling was, was definitely on the list. At the top of mine is the fact that the United Kingdom went through three prime ministers in a span of about 45 days. Obviously, you know, we produce podcasts that are focused on foreign policy and national security and domestic politics. We do daily podcasts. We do newsletters. We're following the news pretty closely. But I got to say, I was not 
very up to speed on the UK's political system, how they govern. And it forced me to look at in more detail how these kinds of decisions are made because we're talking about the parties in the UK making decisions about who's going to run the country. And this is all on top of the fact, of course, that Queen Elizabeth passed away. King Charles took over the the monarchy and just this turmoil with, you know, Boris Johnson and his secret part COVID parties, Liz Truss and her, you know, absolutely devastating proposal for for taxes. It's, you know, I can hope that that Rishi Sunak has a has a better plan and it seems like there's a bit more stability. But again, it's something that, you know, we're going to keep an eye on. The Biden-Saudi visit was interesting. The fist bump heard around the world didn't really have the intended effect, at least, at least initially, that he wanted to have. By coincidence, we're watching oil prices and gas prices just plummet. And a lot of that has to do with demand versus pricing. So another thing that, you know, I'll I'll be keeping an eye on. And then, of course, we've talked a great deal. You know, we started the morning podcast with the intention of keeping people up to date on the war in Ukraine. And I would say I am surprised that the war in Ukraine has gone on this long, not because I doubted the resolve of the Ukrainian people, but because we've been told through the years how strong Russia's military is. And I'm a little worried with the recent bombings of the infrastructure in Ukraine and how that will impact morale, not just of the people fighting on the front lines, but of the citizens of of Ukraine. I cannot imagine living in a large city that's essentially dark cold and they don't have water they're waiting in lines for you know basic necessities but with that said this is where i think president biden has done a really good job in keeping the coalition together nato and the support and the sanctions and all that has been done to support and now you know patriot missiles and zelensky's here you know, as we're as we're recording this, would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I have a few more, but I'll just stop there and just kind of get your reaction. Yeah, so I guess I'll take them in order. On the UK front, I agree it was wild how quickly the prime ministers roll over, but that's what you get when you elect dumb people. What I'll say about specifically about the UK, but I think this is this is more coming from my feelings about U.S. politics, is that democracies everywhere are learning about the problems of small-dollar donors because you end up getting led by the craziest parts of the parties. You know, you could look at the Labour Party in the U.K., Jeremy Corbyn being an example of a really kooky guy when Labour could have been ascendant when the conservative party was just failing left and right. 
labor because of allowing many more people to vote in their what is functionally their primary. I know that's not exactly what they, they call it, the leadership election, allowed for sort of the cart to lead the horse, which is a problem. And I think we haven't really figured out a good way of having the the centers drive the party without it leading to corruption. And so we have to manage those those two impulses, the impulse to be kind of too centralized in a party and, and become corrupt or be too sort of open to democratic forces, which can often lead to extremism. On the Saudi stuff, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like so much of it has to do with other countries' economies and less to do with American politics. But what I will say about American politics on this issue is, in my opinion, we've been super muddled about what our goals are energy-wise. The environmental impacts are no different if the U.S. drills here versus if Saudi drills there. It's all the same uh, environmental problem. And we just would prefer that we push it off. So that's why we're talking to Venezuela about reopening their wells, even though Venezuela is not necessarily a human rights respecting country either. So I think Democrats need to come up with a better messaging strategy about what we want energy to look like moving forward in the gap between where we are now and fully clean energy. Because we want to get to fully clean energy. But that can't mean skyrocketing gas prices between now and then. On the Ukraine front, I think we've all been shocked at how hardy the Ukrainians have been so far. And I would expect that to continue to shock and surprise us, especially with this Patriot missile battery going over there. I'm hopeful that we'll see more kind of air defense. My question really is, how does this effectively end if... Ukraine and Russia have started digging trenches in the east of Ukraine. What happens when it's really a a battle of yards and inches and the aerial bombardment that Russia has been trying to do gets stopped by actually good anti-aircraft and anti-air missiles? So we'll see. I think I'll, I'll speak for both of us when I say we hope this war ends quickly. We hope that Ukraine wins decisively, and we hope Russia retreats, but we'll have to to wait and see. The second piece that I have been sort of surprised about is more about the task that we do every morning and evening, which is scouring the world's top news outlets to bring you their perspectives on the critical stories of the day. And what shocked me is how few Western and English language outlets cover issues in the Americas or Africa. More than a quarter of the population of the world lives in Africa and the Western Hemisphere, yet due to budget cuts primarily, media outlets often rely on only the wire services to bring them stories from these places, which means that if you look at the BBC, Deutsche Welle, The Straits Times, and elsewhere, you're often getting the exact same story because it was pulled from the exact same wire service. Chris, you've worked on the business side of media for a long time, and you've worked at a variety of outlets kind of focusing on foreign policy issues or at least the international landscape. What do you think about this problem? Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. You know, in the evenings, I put together the newsletter and I'm frequently surprised Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, 
you know, and others, they just, they're just, just forget about just Africa, their coverage aside, aside from Ukraine, of course, you, you know, there's European coverage. It's difficult to find, you know, and I, I think, I think this, what we've been doing over the past 200 plus days in putting this podcast together, aside from it being incredibly educational for me, is, you know, we find the sources like Kenya's The Nation, you know, Al Jazeera. I mean, they obviously have good Middle East coverage, but they do have good Africa coverage as well. Those are the sources. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And, you know, when, and I'll speak about foreign policy, I mean, we relied on contributors, people that were on the ground in countries, you know, they weren't full-time staffers, but they were, you know, they were providing, you know, valuable information because they were in the locations where, you know, where we wanted to report from. And I, you know, I think, I think other newslet, news outlets can, can do the same thing because man, there's a lot going on especially in Africa, right right this second. The thing that shocked me, I guess, is that we sort of see how all these pieces are connected, right? The war in Ukraine hits energy infrastructure, which means gas prices go up in Europe, which means inflation goes up, which means the UK's government falls apart and Italy's government elects a fascist and the US has trouble in the midterms or whatever. But it like I don't tend to think of us as being like, smarter than the people who run the Washington Post or the people who run the New York Times. It just is wild to me that all of these stories that start abroad end up being domestic American stories and how often that connection is not explored and not developed in our newspapers of record, our media outlets that we consume about America. And I think as that continues to become more and more of an issue, where what happens abroad impacts us at home, you know, the media has to evolve. We have to get better at this, and we can't just rely on stringers or the wire services to have a good person in the Congo when the next Ebola comes out. We have to have good people on the ground being there ready to tell the full story when the next COVID appears or when the next whatever happens. What are you looking at in 2023 as sort of your top one or two things to keep an eye on? Ooh, I think in 2023, one of the things that I want to keep continue to keep our eye on and try to, to cover more is the economic story of these issues, because I think the global economy is continuing to be so interconnected. And now there's there's sort of conversation about the bifurcation of the economy into a sort of China block and an America block. And of course, we don't necessarily want that forever. And, and you know, the US and Europe and, and different countries have different interests there. But I think the economic story is, is really an interesting one because it impacts domestic sentiment and it impacts domestic sentiment in other countries. And when you're a democracy, that matters a lot. It matters that the cost of living rose in Europe. It means more right-wing leadership across Europe. And that changes a lot of things, not just for the US and not just for the war in Ukraine, but for the world as a whole. I would say the other thing that I want to keep my eye on is the continued sort of battles in Central and South America around corruption issues, around crime and gangs, 
and how the Biden administration either works and gets engaged or doesn't. You know, over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about Peru and, you know, there aren't that many think tanks that focus on these countries. There aren't that many news outlets in America that care beyond the immigration story, beyond the drugs story. And these are our neighbors, not only if we're, you know, if we're bifurcating from China, South America is a clear place where we can partner for manufacturing, that we can partner for dealing with some of these issues. And we just have both kind of moved away from each other, which is interesting. It's just an area I, I don't know as well. And that's also why I'm, I continually am fascinated by Africa. It's just an area I don't know well, and I want to get to know better. What are you sort of thinking about for the next year? China, of course, and not maybe from the traditional sense. And not, not that I necessarily want, want to find out if we really have a one China policy or not, but I'm interested to see what happens with, with Taiwan. I feel like that's a story, you know, we're going to have to pay attention to, you know, of course the war in Ukraine and seeing that and surviving the winter, I think is, is going to be key and, you know, continued support from allies in the form of money, weapons, resources, you know, and then in the, the gang yesterday mentioned, you know, Mexico yesterday. And one of the things we're looking to do as a, as a company and, you know, as a media company is expand and talk about more of these issues. And foreign policy is, you know, a, not an exciting business, but has a huge impact on our everyday lives. And we've seen this from supply chain issues caused by, you know, the war in Ukraine and COVID, you know, to economies, you know, dependencies, you know, as much as you mentioned earlier, as much as we're trying to move toward a greener world, we basically ab abandoned that, you know, when gas prices were increasing and the climate is is a big area we we really have to pay a lot of attention to for obvious reasons but yeah i'm looking looking forward to uh maybe a a smoother 2023 some resolution to things but i suspect we'll be here you know early next year talking about a lot of these same issues that's all the time we have for this year. If you have a tip topic or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at the Have a wonderful holiday season. We'll see you in the new year.